Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we have a great privilege this week. We're hearing a lengthy passage at Mass from the letter to the Hebrews. It's a fascinating bit of literature, the letter to the Hebrews. It's not really a letter, it's a treatise that was written sometime at the end of the first century and then found its way into the scriptures. It's a somewhat difficult, somewhat confusing and dense text, but take the time to move through it. It's not that long. You could sit down and, and read it in one sitting and your effort will be rewarded. It's one of the most important and insightful treatises on the nature of Christianity. Well, one of the central motifs of this letter is faith. I want to talk about faith today. Paul Tillich said, Faith is the most misunderstood concept in Christian theology. And I think this is true and largely due to the influence of modernity. I've spoken a lot about the Enlightenment. And with the Enlightenment and the rise of modern scientific thought, a huge premium was placed on reason. Rene Descartes, the founder of modernity, said the purpose of philosophy was to master nature. With our reason, we'll get control over our environment. Francis Bacon said, knowledge is power. The more you know, the more you can control. Karl Marx commented, the point of philosophy is to change the world. Well, these are all confident rationalisms. They're typical of modernity, and they place a stress on light, clarity, and control. And all this is good as far as it goes. Our technological culture was made possible by this kind of thinking. But the shadow of the Enlightenment and its rationalism was a certain disdain for faith. Many moderns and their disciples today a lot of them, by the way, are around and publishing books about God, many moderns and their disciples see religion as irrational, superstitious, primitive. As they glorify reason, they find faith to be something childish. Well, our great Catholic tradition has from the beginning and at its best, stressed the compatibility of faith and reason. Notice, please, how central this is to the teaching and writing of our current Pope. The tradition that produced Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, Dante, John Henry Newman, has not one little thing against reason. Faith, listen now, properly understood, is neither credulity nor intellectual naivete. What is it? Well, here the letter to the Hebrews tells us. 
Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. Let me say that again. Faith, not credulity, not naivete, not childish surrender of reason, but rather the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. Friends, there are certain things, certain features of reality that are provisionally unseen. What I mean is this, for the moment, given our technological limitations, they are opaque to us. Examples, the exact nature of a black hole. We speculate about black holes up in the cosmos, but what are they exactly? Well, we don't know. Our technological capacity is too limited. What's going on on the far side of the galaxy? Well, we don't really know. Maybe with the Hubble telescope now, we can see more deeply into that part of the cosmos, but we don't know. Given our technological and perceptive capacities, it's opaque to us. The precise functioning of a given biological organism. Well, maybe there are things we just don't know. We know something about it, but there are a lot of mysteries. All these things, here's my point, all these things are in principle knowable. And with sufficient gains in our cognitive capacity, they most likely will be known. So maybe in a thousand years we'll know all about black holes. In a thousand years we'll know all about the functioning of an organism which is now mysterious to us. These things are not the objects of faith. These are things that reason ought to explore. They are for the moment unknown. Okay, but light can and should be shed on them. So what's faith all about? Faith has to do with those aspects of reality which are not provisionally unseen, but are essentially unseen. Things that are in principle beyond our grasp, beyond our ken. Things that given the structure of reality cannot be directly known or controlled ever. I'll put it in the language of Thomas Aquinas, the object of faith are God and the things of God. The object of faith are God and the things of God. Look, as I've often said, God is not a thing in the world. God is not the biggest thing around, some being among many. God is not like a black hole, not like a distant galaxy, not something which in principle we could one day come to know. Think of that famous Russian cosmonaut that went up into space. He said, I looked all around and didn't see God. Well, that's precisely what God is not. God, as the creator of all things, is always permanently transcendent to the world. We can never know God the way we know an object in the world. There's no telescope big enough to take Him in. There's no technology that could ever be developed that would make God visible to us. God is the object of faith. Not because we're surrendering, because we're trying to be unreasonable, but because that's the only way we can relate to God is 
as to something essentially unknown. I said God and the things of God. The future belongs to God. God knows it. I don't. We know lots of things about the past, lots of things about the present. There's not one person listening to me right now that knows a thing about the future. Oh, we can guess, we can conjecture, we can hope, but we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. That belongs to God. What follows death? I don't know. Do you know? Nobody knows. Oh, we tell stories about it, we try to imagine it, we come up with various theories. But what's going to happen after I die? I don't know. That realm belongs to God. If there's someone that comes along and tells you, here's exactly what happens after you die, that person's a charlatan. That person's trying to now look with reason into something which belongs essentially to the darkness of God. Someone once used this image in regard to the future in regard to what happens after we die, we are like a single person rowing in a rowboat. You know, when you're rowing yourself, you have to face away from where you're going. Your back is to where you're going. What you see is what's behind you. That's how we live. Not the greatest scientists, not the greatest philosophers, not the greatest mystics can know with reason God and the things of God. Faith is the attitude that we have in regard to this darkness. What is it? Again, listen. The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things unseen. As we gaze into that alluring darkness, what's our attitude? In faith, it's an attitude of trust and hope. Look at the examples used by the author of the letter to the Hebrews. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. Ah, Abraham. Whenever you mention him, Christians, we're talking about faith. Abraham's the father of faith. He's the model of faith. So he obeyed when he was called. What was he called to do? At the age of 75, to get up, leave his homeland, leave everything he knew behind, and go off in quest of a promised land. Did he know the future? No. That belongs to God. Did he know God's purpose? Not precisely. But what did he do? He obeyed. He trusted. Was this irrational? No, not irrational. But it was the proper response to the darkness of God. He trusted in it. Abraham, you know, is meant to counterbalance Adam and Eve. What was their problem? When faced with the darkness of God, they tried to control it. We will grasp at godliness. We will eat of this fruit. We will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's the wrong attitude toward the alluring darkness. The right attitude is Abraham's. But then, as the author of the letter to the Hebrews goes on, he shows us how Abraham's faith came to this terrible climax. God had said to him, I'll make you a great nation. 
Despite your old age, the old age of your wife, I will raise up a son to you, Isaac. And through this son, you'll become the father of many nations. Isaac is born. He's everything to Abraham. His beloved son and the means by which the promise will be fulfilled. And then God, inexplicably, out of the darkness of His mystery, says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac to Me. When Abraham goes up Mount Moriah and he willingly ties up his son and raises his hand to sacrifice him, what is he doing? He's responding in faith. Did he know what God was about here? Uh-uh. Did he see clearly why God was making this request? Absolutely not. Did he understand what was going on? No. But he trusted. That's faith. It's terrible, isn't it? There's something staggering. There's something awful in the primitive use of that term, full of awe, something awful about faith. What are the options when we stand face to face with the darkness of that which is essentially unknowable? Well, we could curse it, shake our fist at it, read someone like Jean-Paul Sartre, you'll find that option. Or you could just close your eyes to it, pretend it's not there. Look around at our very secularized culture, you'll see that option. Or, you could trust it. You could place your hope in it. That last option is the option of faith. And upon it hinges the whole of the spiritual life. How do you respond to the alluring, mysterious darkness? Have faith. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that, together, we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. Cardinal George says, It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 43 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries willing to help you during times of loss. Call 708-449-6100 for assistance. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.